0: I absolutely love what God's doing and Celebrate Recovery, and i um, so thankful for Steven and Lou, their leadership. And this team, y'all just makes me, uh, I just get teared up watching, looking at this crew up here. I don't know about you do, but people that just give their hearts, and they have so much fun doing it. One of my favorite nights is when we do pancake night. I don't know, it's just fun throwing pancakes and baking around. I don't know, I love that. But um we love Celebrate Recovery, and the reason for that is because we're seeing people's lives changed by the, by the gospel of Jesus, yes. right? And um, that's what we hope each week, you know. We, we hope that more and more people would turn to Christ uh, and then take some real practical steps toward recovery. So pray, pray with us. Lift these guys up. Pray for them as they lead that ministry as well. But, all right, so today we're going to continue a short little series we're calling Together. And so if you will find your grab your Bible, find your place with me. We're going to be actually in the book of Acts today. Yeah, um, back in Acts, um, Acts chapter 13, and uh, we'll we'll be there in just a moment. But the goal for this little uh, sermon series is really to put forward the biblical idea that Jesus saves a people, not just individuals. He intends for us to do life together and to be on mission together. And again, I'm thinking about this this group of folks up here in the front and and the kind of family that's cultivated and developed as we serve and as we preach the gospel together, as we try to love people together. That's that's what we're talking about. Jesus intends for us to live that way. So from the very first of Jesus' disciples to those who laid the groundwork for the early church. To every follower of Jesus today We're called to follow him Not just as individuals But as a people And together to build His kingdom Last time uh, we saw Last week we saw that We're made for community from creation So from the beginning God made us With relationship in mind If you remember when God made Man and Adam was alone Uh, He looked at man all by himself and he said, uh, well, this is not good. (laughs) Can I get a woman to say amen to that? Yeah, okay. Men men by themselves is trouble, right? It's trouble. But then we notice that when God filled the need for real relationship, he gave Eve to Adam. Then God says, "Ah, this is very good. Men, you missed it. That was your chance for an amen right there. Come on, man. Let's hear it Amen. Yeah. God gave woman to man and met a very real relational need. And then God looks at that and says, now, this is very good. So what we observe from that is that God meant for us to be in real relationship from the very beginning. From creation, we're made for community to be together as a people. God intends for humankind To bear his image, to carry out his rule and reign over all the earth and all creation, to multiply. These same truths about creation are also true in the new covenant kingdom of God. Through Jesus, God is redeeming a people, bringing us into real and authentic community with one another And then through us, he's bringing his rule and reign to the world and multiplying disciples of Jesus. So creation story is mirrored in the new creation account of redemption. It's intended to be. I want to tell you a quick story and then introduce you to a friend. Several months back, a few guys started meeting together for some intentional discipleship. We were Sort of breaking ground on a on a D group idea. And each week we'd gather together. We'd talk about what God's been teaching us from the Bible. We sometimes we'd confess struggles to believe and struggles to obey Jesus. We'd pray for God to use us, for Him to change us, and for God to use us to tell others the good news of the gospel. That's not always easy. It's hard sometimes. We began to sort of team up and think together about creative ways that we could reach our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends. We we planned crazy things like a Super Bowl party, we tried to invite some people that we knew were lost to just come hang out and hopefully talk about Jesus. We tried to do a few things intentionally to reach some people that we love that don't know the Lord. So we would share about various conversations we'd have throughout the week. You know, we'd say, hey, man, I finally got to talk to so and so. and Then we would think together about maybe how that conversation might could have been pivoted to be a gospel conversation. We would practice sharing our testimony, you know, telling each other how Jesus had saved us and how he's still chipping away at Things like pride and lust and selfishness and anger. We just talk with one another and tell the story about how God is still saving us. After sharing the story with each other, then we try to kind of coach each other to find helpful ways to tell these same stories to the lost world. So that we point to Jesus as the one who redeems and rescues. So this kind of intentionality, it led to one conversation after another uh, with friends who need to trust in Jesus. We we'd come together and just celebrate. Hey, I got to talk to so and so today and tell him some things about Christ. We'd celebrate each gospel conversation. would Get us really excited and would lead us to pray that God would open eyes, convince minds, convict hearts that God would do the work of salvation that only he can do. You know, our job is just to, to plant the seed, right? We trust God with the growth. Well, this small group of guys became a, a little team, a disciple-making team. Talking like a team, praying like a team. You know, a team is a group of people who have a common objective and they work together for that common goal. And so they gather together and that goal is outside of themselves. It's not just, about me getting better. It's about me engaging with the world and seeing people come to know Jesus. Well, on Easter Sunday of this year, we had the incredible honor to baptize a new brother in Christ as a result of that team. I don't know if you remember, but today I want to ask him to come share a little bit of his story with you. So, will you guys help me welcome my friend Jordan Jones?
1: Mark, can you give him this microphone? This little hand Morning, everybody. Morning. I'm a little nervous. I've never done this before, so just bear with me. Uh, what he's talking about, yes, uh, just a little bit of background on me. When all that was going on, my whole life, I'd to church. My parents took me to church every morning. Sometimes i probably argued it. But uh, anyway, so I knew God and I knew Jesus but uh, the more I talked to my friend Luke, y'all know Luke, uh, I started thinking, man, uh, maybe I'm not saved. Like, I know this, but maybe I'm not saved. So, the more we talked, I probably talked to him probably every day on my way to work because I didn't want to do anything but drive I'm go to work. So I just talked to him. So, we just had these good conversations and uh, one day I told him, I was like, man, I said, I want to believe, but I feel like I have a faith blocker. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I just have a faith blocker. So this whole time, I'm trying to, uh, you know, just trying to find God. And then one day, I was actually in the shower and singing uh, gospel music. And uh, it just hit me. Like, God found me. Instead of me trying to find God, God found me. Yeah. Yeah. And then at that moment, I knew. That moment, I knew I couldn't go another day without being saved. And that's when I got in touch with Justin. I was like, man, I can't go another day. And then uh, we talked about setting up Sunday. And he's like, well, if you can't go another day, I'll show you at your house tonight. And so that's what we did. Uh, going past down after baptism, uh, we just, Luke and me, started a uh, D group. And as I was going on, I was at work and I started realizing, wow, there's a lot of things I can talk about Jesus to my co workers. And, but I was so nervous, I was like, I don't know, I don't, I just now say, I don't think I'm good enough to talk about Jesus to people. And uh, it's crazy how Jesus works. Uh, things would just come to my mouth, and I'm like, oh crap, I knew that. <laughs> so, but just getting a deeper, you know, and really digging into the Bible, rather than just skimming over the words, we were actually digging into it and actually being really into Jesus and the Word. I'm starting to learn more about Jesus and what he's done for me and for everybody. And uh, just, it's a great thing being able to talk to people at work and in my life and being more confident every day about sharing the gospel to them and just relating to them about how I'm just a normal person who was saved by Jesus. Yeah, yeah. that's good, man. Yeah.
0: I remember uh, after Luke had the had the great honor of leading his friend to Christ, uh, he called me that week and he was like, man, why have I never known that following Jesus can be such an amazing adventure? Like he's just overwhelmed with the excitement of seeing somebody he loves, like one of his best friends growing up, give his life to Jesus and knowing that that was a result of our prayers and And our love collectively as a team for this brother and and others that we're still praying for God to save. That's just it, though, church, we are saved to be sent on mission. That's really what this whole Christian thing, this this Christianity thing is about. It's about what is God doing with you and through you now, you know? If salvation was the end of your story, then he would have just took you to heaven right when you surrendered your life. But that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. It's not the finish line. It's the starting blocks. And so from the beginning of the race, you realize, you know what? I'm actually involved in what God is doing in the world, building his kingdom. And no, you don't have to be a professional to be used by God. You just got to be real. So today is our invitation into this adventure. All that being said, would you grab your Bibles and uh, let's stand in honor of God's Word, Acts chapter eight. I'm mean, Acts chapter thirteen. I'm sorry, Acts thirteen. Just going to read three verses this morning. Wants to really focus in on just three verses in the book of Acts, chapter thirteen, beginning in verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. Then after praying and fasting, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our rescuer. You gave your life to give us life. And by your spirit, you are still working in us and through us. Lord, open our eyes today to see what you've called us into. The adventure you're calling us to be a part of and give us the faith to trust you today in Jesus name. Amen. amen. All right. Well, let's just uh, take a moment, refresh our memories uh, with what's happening here in the book of Acts in, in, with the church in Antioch. What's going on? How is this church formed? All those kinds of things. We'll just do a quick, very quick recap. Here's what happened after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He ascended up into heaven with the promise to those early disciples. You will receive the spirit and you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. Guess what? That hasn't changed. We still receive his spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. Well, what happened? Well, chapter two, the Holy Spirit. Came and filled those early disciples in Jerusalem. Thousands of people saw miracles and heard the message of the gospel. Many believed, were baptized, and an unstoppable movement was born. People were repenting of sin, were trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior by the thousands. The Jewish religious leaders began to feel threatened by all this, and they began working ferociously to stop it. They brought a fierce persecution against these early disciples, arrested them, beat them, threatened them with death. And then one Pharisee named Saul began to lead the charge of bringing That suffering and persecution to people's homes and dragging them out of their homes. And he was chasing the Christians to faraway cities, places like Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus, alive from the dead, shows up to Saul, blinds his eyes, knocks him to the ground. And Saul could no longer resist Jesus. He had been radically converted from hating Christians to becoming one. Isn't it ironic how that happens? The gospel was spreading rapidly. It was beginning to spread beyond the Jews to Gentiles. They were believing and Peter said they're receiving the same Holy Spirit. Who am I to stop God from what God is doing? Well, in Antioch, lots of people were beginning to believe and turning to the Lord. So Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to do ministry in Antioch to help kind of ground this brand new church. Barnabas gets there. He sees what's going on in Acts chapter 11. It says he saw the grace of God and how amazing it was. So Barnabas went and got Saul and Saul joined Barnabas. And for about a year, they discipled this exploding church of new believers. They spent about a year walking with people, teaching them the truth, helping them to know how to live for Christ. Right. Well, that's when we arrive at our text today. We find this group of leaders praying, fasting, worshiping. It's like they knew the Lord was up to something, right? They they came expecting God to move, fasting and praying and worshiping. They decided to stop eating. That's pretty serious, right? They decided to stop eating and beg God to do something. So question, let's, let's spend a little time right here. Who are these people? Luke gives us their names and a little bit about them. So let's just see, who are these leaders at the church in Antioch? Barnabas, we've kind of been introduced to him. We know him a little bit. But Acts 4 tells us he's a Levite. He's a, a native of Cyprus. We know that he's an encourager. They called him the son of encouragement. He is uh, generous. Remember, he sold a big piece of property, gave all the money to the church. He's an advocate. If you remember, when Saul was first a believer, he was brought to the church by Barnabas. They were going to reject Saul, but Barnabas brought him in and said, I'm telling you, he's truly converted to Christ. He's an advocate, he's a friend. This is who Barnabas is. Now, we also know who Saul is. We know him mainly for who he becomes. Paul, the Apostle Paul, but we know that he's a former Pharisee. He's a former persecutor. He's a Jew. He says of himself, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. According to the law, perfect, right? He's bragging and boasting as far as his identity, but that's who he was. Now he is a radical Jesus follower. He's a missionary. He's a pastor. He's a church planter. This is who Saul is becoming when we find him in Acts 13. But who are these three guys in the middle? Simeon. We don't really know anything about him except for what we read right here. He's called Niger, which literally means the black one. So he's probably a black man from North Africa, possibly from Nigeria. That's all we know about Simeon. Lucius. All we know about him is his where he's from, his country of origin. He's Lucius of Cyrene. We don't. Some people speculate that this is the man that helped carry Jesus' cross, but we don't know that. And then we have this man, Menaean, the childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So all we know is that he grew up with the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. In the home of the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. That's all we know. Is that he grew up in that wealthy setting, but now he's a, he is a follower of Jesus. Here's what you should know. These three men at least, how did they hear the gospel? Well, probably they were in Jerusalem at Pentecost, gathered for the feast, and they heard the gospel that way. Or possibly... They heard the gospel as Saul started persecution and the church scattered, and as they went, they went preaching. So maybe they heard the gospel through the scattered persecution. We know that's how this church was formed. But what should we really see about these men? What I hope we see is that they have absolutely nothing in common. Do you see that? They're not from the same country, they don't have the same upbringing, they don't have the same color skin. They weren't educated the same way. And we could keep going and keep going and keep going. So what is it that builds bridges where the world puts up walls? The people have to look at these men and go, why do they even like each other? Much less, why are they praying and fasting and worshiping together? Who are these people? And why do they love each other? Well... The gospel forges friendships where the world forces enemies. I mean, when we look at this picture, it it could be the beginning of a really bad joke. Uh, A Levite, an African and a Pharisee went into a bar, you know, something like that. (laughs) Uh, The point is this. These guys have absolutely zero in common. Nothing except Jesus. And here's where we begin to see the beauty of the gospel in how it brings us together. So the first truth I want you to know is this. The gospel gives you a primary identity. Gives you a primary identity. I need you to listen close because there's really good news here. All the things that used to define you, No longer determine who you are. What you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, where you've come from, how you were raised. Those things no longer define who you are in Christ. Now, for some of us, this truth is liberating, right? It's liberating. Because a lot of our identity has been shaped by pain, been shaped by problems, been shaped through our sin or the sins of another. And for others of us, this truth is not liberating, it's actually frightening. Because what I'm telling you means that you would have to let go of all that you've worked so hard to achieve as your identity. And embrace what Jesus gives. And I hope we realize that's the great dilemma in the New Testament. Is we have a reckless bunch of Gentiles who are coming into the faith. This group of people who don't deserve God, right? And then we have a group of Pharisees who believe they deserve God. They hold on to their identity as what they've achieved. They have to let go of their pride to embrace who God has called them to be. And these guys have to let go of their pain and problems to be who God has called them to be. But the truth is, the gospel sets both prisoners free. Those who are trapped in the rat race of pride and seek the glory of men day after day after day, they're set free by the good news of Jesus. And those who are trapped in the grave of regret, buried by the shame of their peers, they too are set free by the good news of Jesus. Some of us have tried really hard to shake off an identity that we hate. Others of us wake up with the pressure just to perform again and again, to to win again, to, to do more, to sell more, to make more, to prove myself worthy again and the beauty of the gospel is that both prisoners those enslaved by their pride and those enslaved by their problems are set free by Jesus no matter who you were Jesus gives you a new primary identity I want you to read some scripture with me And my prayer is it will be liberating for us all So find 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to see what the Bible says as Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And he's writing to a church full of a bunch of ragtag people who are still playing with the world. They're still living in sin. They're still doing some of the things that they used to do. And Paul writes this letter to them to say, that's not who you are anymore. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. We've read this before, but we need to hear it again. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And do you notice that identity... Is wrapped up in behavior in these verses. Do you see that? People are identified, not just that person who committed adultery, but adulterer. You, you following what I say? What I'm saying here? It's not just, well, he he told a lie, no, liar. He stole something, no, thief. And this is where the burden of sin gets a real stranglehold on us as we begin to be identified. It becomes who I am. What I've done becomes who I am. But listen to the power of the gospel. After this description of all these people who are identified by their sin, verse 11, such good news. And such were some of you. (laughs) But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Here's the truth. It's no longer who you are. You're set free. I was sharing a story this week with a young child in our congregation that has come to faith in Jesus. Looking forward to baptizing her next week. I was just telling her about my experience of coming to faith in Christ. And I shared with her about how when we get saved, God actually comes to live inside of us by His Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to be our guide to help us live out who we are now. And I actually remember the first time I heard since the Holy Spirit's conviction I remember I told a lie that was not uncommon for me I was a liar BC and I remember telling a lie and being so confident just like I used to do it I could sell it I could tell a lie I told that lie I turned around to do my own thing and it was like the spirit of God goes uh uh that's not who you are And I was broken over a simple, silly lie. I remember tears over a lie that didn't even matter. I remember turning and saying, I just lied to you. The Spirit of God speaks into us through the identity that Christ gives to us. He says this, that's not who you are anymore. But such were some of you. I want you to see another scripture. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Paul's writing to church in Galatia. And he's trying to teach them. That our hope is not in ourselves. What we can do. Or who we are. Our hope is in Christ. What he's done. Who he is. And what he's accomplished on our behalf. Look with me if you will. Galatians 3 verses 26 to the end. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's your new identity, right? That's who you are. You're a child. You're a son of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen. Now he's going to talk about all the other identity markers that we used to put on. And he's going to say, you need to lay those things aside and put on Christ. You're now a son of God. So listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's not male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. So here's what we mean. I mean, the gospel gives you a primary identity. Doesn't erase all these identity markers that you're from Cyrene or that you're you're they call you Simeon of Niger. That it doesn't erase who you are, your skin color, your country of origin, how you grew up doesn't erase those things. Gives you a primary identity. This is very countercultural. Especially in our culture today. But church, listen to me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen. We do not let our ethnicity or our money or our even our gender define us. In Christ, we're sons of God, we're children of God. That's primary. Everything else pales in comparison to that identity. So where the dividing lines create hostility, mercy and grace in Jesus gives humility. So we trade out hostility. All the things that say, well, I'm not like you. You're not like me. Hostility. All that's broken down. And in Jesus, we find humility and peace. So let me um, give some exhortation to us. Please don't get sucked into the enemy's trap. To be clear, I mean, our spiritual enemy, the great deceiver, Satan himself. He's working feverishly to make people hate one another based on all kinds of dividing lines. Do you see this in our world today? Let me let me paint some pictures just to name a few black versus white. Why does this matter? Why does it matter how much melanin is in a person's skin? But the enemy has us against one another in a lot of places. What about this one? Republican versus Democrat. It's a big one right now, right? We've almost gotten to where we hate one another. I wonder who's behind that. Here's a crazy one. Male versus female. I don't even know how we got to where this was a big problem. How about American versus immigrant? How about CNN versus Fox News? Most recently, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Seriously. Now we're getting into dividing lines and I'm telling you the enemy is stirring the pot. All he wants to do is make us point fingers and hate one another. Just saying those things brought a kind of tension in the room, didn't it? It's not that we can't have an opinion. Of course we can, but we don't hate another person of another opinion. Because why? They are not your enemy. Why? Because this is not your identity. The gospel makes everything else less significant. Now, back to this group of leaders in the church in Antioch. These guys have a new primary identity, but that still leaves the question, why are they together? Like, what, what brings them together? And so secondly, the gospel builds us into a powerful community, a powerful community. These men are not just gathered in the same place once a week for about an hour. No, they're fasting together. They're worshiping together. They're praying together. They've become a band of brothers. They've become a team. They're working together to join God as he continues to do amazing things. So what is it that brings radically different people together in unity like this? For that, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes in chapter two, first Peter, chapter two, verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, listen to verse 10. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received what? Mercy. Mercy. But now you have received what? Mercy. And so here's what I want you to know I want you to know this. We are a people who have received the mercy of a holy God. This is what brings us together. We began this whole series on togetherness in Romans chapter 12. And do you know how it begins? Romans 12. Therefore, brothers, in view of what? God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy. The truth is that God is. Uh, Paul has spent 11 chapters building the tension between God's holiness and our sinfulness. He's talked about it for 11 chapters and we could walk through them individually, but we don't have time. But he builds all that tension. And then he says this. Our only peace is in Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful climax in chapter eight. Therefore, we have no condemnation in Jesus. That's beautiful news, right? Amen. So the good news of the gospel is that you, sinner, me, sinner. Receive mercy in Jesus Christ. And it no longer matters that I'm white and you're black. No longer matters that I'm from here and you're from there. I'm across the railroad tracks. You're over there. No longer matters. None of that matters. We are mercy recipients of God Almighty. We're sons of God. I want you to think with me. About when Simon Peter, who wrote this. First met the Lord Jesus. He'd been told about him from his brother Andrew but it wasn't until a really rough day out on the water fishing that he met Jesus himself he'd fished all night hadn't caught anything but in Luke chapter 5 Jesus steps on the boat says hey push out a little further put your net down on this side Peter's like Lord (laughs) I mean I'm a professional fisherman (laughs) been doing this all night they just ain't biting you know But Lord, at your word, I'll do it. And then in come the fish. About sunk the boat. It brought another boat over. About sunk both boats. And Peter, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, he says this. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the place of tension where you encounter a holy God. All you can see is your sinful self. But to hear the Lord Jesus say, come Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Is mercy. Peter didn't deserve it. He knew he didn't deserve it. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. Well, later in Luke chapter five, you know, Peter's not been walking with Jesus very long, but... They stumble across a tax collector booth. And Jesus looks into the tax collector booth and he says to Matthew, or in Luke's gospel, he calls him Levi, he says, Matthew, come and follow me. Now I want you to get the picture here. Where did Jesus go to recruit Matthew? To the very place of his sin. He's, he's a cheat. He steals from his own own people. He's skimming off the top. He's collecting tax plus a little bit for his mortgage, right? And that's just the way it's going. And Jesus meets him at the tax collector booth while he's in the act of sinning. And here's where we need to realize, like, you don't clean up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he cleans you up. We are sinners Saved by his mercy and grace. And once we get a grip on that, I mean, can you imagine Simon Peter and Matthew the tax collector working together for the gospel? How does that work? A rugged fisherman and a cheap tax collector. How does it work? Mercy. Mercy. These men would be mortal enemies, they would hate each other in everyday life. The gospel creates powerful community. In view of God's mercy, these enemies are now brothers. The story is the same for these men in Antioch. Barnabas and Simeon, they might have different skin, but they've received the same mercy. Lucius didn't grow up with money like Menaeus did, but didn't matter. They received the same mercy. Saul, self-righteous Pharisee, now murderer, Stands in need of the same mercy. And here they are together. Pastoring a church. Wild. The same is true of us today, church. We're a very diverse group. Right? Different backgrounds. Different upbringings. Different skin color. Different money. Different, but still sinners In need of Mercy. We all stand before a holy God as hopeless sinners were it not for Christ. Once we were not a people. But now we're God's people. Because we've received mercy. Amen. Amen. So he builds a, a powerful community. And number three, the gospel calls us to prioritize the mission. These guys are together, they're seeking the Lord, they're they're praying, they're fasting, they're worshiping. Then the Holy Spirit lets them in on his plan. (laughs) And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, I imagine this was a tough one to swallow. Are you talking about the primary leaders in the church, the guys who are, I mean, they've basically... Taught and discipled this early group of believers. They, these are the, the best leaders they've got. I imagine maybe somebody was probably like, "Did you guys hear Barnabas and Saul?" I'm thinking I heard Barabbas and Sam. You know, we can we probably send them out, but I don't know about Barnabas and Saul. I mean, this maybe somebody was thinking, oh, "Man, if we send them out, what's, what's going to happen here? This place might fall apart. What what are we going to do?" And this is where we realize. And we see that their priority wasn't on survival. It was on expansion. The priority wasn't to maintain what we've got. It was the mission of the gospel. They trusted God to take care of them as they gave themselves to his mission. Church, this is where we've got to be on guard as well, that we don't slip into a maintenance mentality. I don't ever want to get to the point where we're asking the wrong kinds of questions, you know, like, well, how can we hold on to these people? I want to be saying, how can we get the gospel to those people? How can we afford to do this? How can we afford not to? This is where we have to really weigh in the balance. Are we going to be a maintenance people or a mission people? And I'm telling you, the gospel calls us to prioritize the mission of Jesus. For the church in Antioch, this was a fork in the road for them. Were they going to take the risk and send their best? Or would they hold on and ride it out? Well, they chose mission. and They became the hub of the greatest mission movement of all time. Mountain View Church, what will be our story? Which path will we choose? So, NBC family, let me talk to you for a second. This is how we'll finish this morning. My prayer for us has been that we would become a people. The people of God. Not just a gathering of saved individuals, but a people. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. I pray that we become a people united by the gospel and united for the gospel. I believe that God wants this church to go all in on becoming and making disciples to raise up and send out some of our best pastors. To send out missionaries to plant churches in hard places like Egypt And to revitalize dying churches across town. We must prioritize his mission, but we're at a fork in the road. What are we going to do? And it begins with some small steps. What are you going to do to prioritize being and making disciples in your own life? So a next step for you could be to commit to real relationship and discipleship through a life group. I want to encourage you to really pray this week. So can I, can I ask you specifically to pray that God would put it on your heart to link arms with some people for a short season just from now until December, but to commit to meeting in a life group twice a month for the purpose of prayer and discipleship. Would you pray about that? Because if we're going to be what God is calling us to be, we need to take steps in that direction. And that means following Christ together. Maybe you're in the room and you don't know Jesus. I want you to know this message is for you. Like the gospel will liberate you from either your pride
1: or your problems. He will set you free.